So here we are. Very, very far away from one another, like about as far as one could be nearly outside of Australia. That's true. That's true. Maybe, maybe Japan is a little bit farther, but it's much closer to here than New York, so. Yes. <laughs> Would you please let us know your name and where you're at right now? I am in Vancouver, Washington. I'm in uh, an electrified box that I'm renting that is also called an apartment. And it's a temporary situation and it's given me a lot of interesting perspective on on the suburbs. <laughs> it took me a second to figure out what I was trying to say and I realized that's what I was trying to say, the suburbs. Do you feel like Vancouver is a suburb of Portland? Is that kind of how it feels? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I can't tell because I don't have any context really, but I certainly asked myself that question and I think that when I'm saying suburbs, I mean where there is nature, there is natural environment around me in a way that there certainly, you know, wouldn't be in New York. There are mountains and there is a, a huge park and there's trees everywhere. The mountains are off in the horizon. Um, but the mountains are not the suburbs. The suburbs are like Western manicured, conserved, like non-indigenous plants that are like really beautiful and like really well watered because it rains a lot here. But there's like, you know, grass everywhere because people live here with their homes and their elementary schools. And so the suburbs is between, I guess in my, in my head, the suburbs is between an urban environment and a rural environment. Uh -huh. uh, I know your name. Would you, would you please tell us your name? Oh, yes. My name is Howell. Howell Francis. And how are you spelling Howell? H-Y-W-E-L. And when you first kindly uh, gifted me the, the knowledge of, of, of this period, time, going forward, like life-affirming uh, wellness, I immediately, because you're obviously in, in my mind a New Yorker, I just think of Howl, you know, like the book. I, yeah. Did you get that I'm a lot? So, I've, I've heard it before and I love it. I'm so grateful for every association that, and that, that my name has. I, the realization of this as who I am came from a long period of reflection on what I have inside me that didn't come from anyone else that I met and what parts of 
me are not related to uh, a post-Roman colonial existence. And I've, I've, I've used the original Welsh spelling as like a reminder to myself in my grounding, in my name, that um, there is like much to be found outside of my relationship to ultimately, you know, Roman style imperialist occupation. And you know, the Latin spelling of Howell is H-O-W-E-L or E-L-L of the name. But it 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 also reminds me of the people who are my heroes in my life. And yeah, I'm really grateful to yeah, I'm grateful to have my community that I have where I can talk about it and where we engage in these kinds of conversations, for sure. <clears throat> it's been, you know, such an integral part in my, you know, we spend so much time, you know, talking about reparenting and and what I mean when I say that is engaging with my own growth as a loving being and as uh and like finding my wholeness there so yeah this well, that that's a nice segue to ask you about your one of the main long-term practices that we connect deeply on which is acoa which i have always known yes. to be aca is acoa um, that version of it due to having been in New York a long time or like where did I you... think so I came to find the ACA community through the center in Chelsea ah, yeah. I I have well had up until that point found myself in a number of other communities like you know healing um meeting-based communities and it was through AA I found AA meetings from NA meetings and in AA meetings at a certain point in my healing I was beginning to get to I would say like the 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 real meat of steps like three four or five where I was reflecting on the healing of the others around me and and then I began to hear people talk about their ACOA meetings and so I don't know if that's like ge- geographical or if that's because the center hosts a meeting that they call an ACOA meeting, <laughs> that I call it that. But yeah, you and I have, I've been so grateful for our alignment and conversation about ACA. And there's something that I love, loved so much about Berlin and still love about Berlin and can't wait to... <laughs> To visit and it feels like a real that really feels like I've I've really made it in one aspect of my life <laughs> that I have association uh, and and meetings to look forward to that's like I feel really proud of myself for that yeah. 
we started a Wednesday meeting right before Corona, I think, and it's in the park outside. <sighs> it's at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. It's just the best. <sighs> yeah. And amazing. Where we are, where we have planted ourselves is in this little oasis, little kind of off, off park, little kind of depression-ish area surrounded by trees but also by kitas so there's screaming children <laughs> uh bongo drums and yes. um drug dealers up and around you and running around and really fun dogs running around because people go there because it's like this little little nook out of the way and then they're oh there's these people sitting in the circle again like fuck it whatever we're gonna we're gonna use this space too <clears throat> and uh it's good it is. Oh my gosh. You know, there's like a dilapidated tent. There's, you know, you know, the things you find in a park in town. Yeah. And, and but sunshine and people who are on the same path, which is really magical. You can't beat it. Oh, no. That, I mean, it sounds beautiful. I mean, the, the queer meditations that we attended together, the meetings that I've been able to attend um, with you bringing me along have been so integral in my in I would say the actualization and activation that I'm like intentional activation that I'm engaged with right now in my life. Oh, um, for sure. I'd for love sure. To chat a bit about tattooing cuz you're of a caliber and ability through heavy lifting and and hard diligent work making it happen in, in a city that isn't unlike any other in the world and you've put it on pause. I have. It has been a difficult decision. And I don't say that in the past because that decision is not in the past. It's something that I'm definitely engaged with um, you know, every day. I There's so much about it that I miss a lot. Um, I ultimately being in New York and living in the West Village, living in downtown Manhattan in this, you know, beautifully romantic, um, very easy to wax poetic about apartment, this tiny studio apartment on Gay Street <laughs> with my dog and working at, you know, walk-in street shops and also in, in Chelsea and... Appointment only studios. I was given the opportunity to really meet a lot of humanity. <laughs> um, I'm so grateful for it. tattooing. The way that I reflect on it now is I realize that tattooing has given me the tools that I need to change myself and to affect change in my own life on behalf of myself. And it's that same practice that is of like prime importance to me that ultimately demanded of me that I reflect on my relationship to 
this healing practice in my life and in the world in the context of uh, one of the global centers of capitalism, which is downtown Manhattan. Um, you know, it's a 12 minute walk. It's like an eight and a half minute speedy bike ride from Gay Street where I lived to Wall Street. And a lot of those people paid my bills for a long time. And I had a very wise mentor one of the many people who taught me how to tattoo um, named Bradley Silver, who's wonderful and who gave me so many gifts. One of the gifts he gave me was his line when people ask about his clients. What he always said was, it takes every single kind of person to pay my bills. And I love it. And that's the mentality. <laughs> and I learned and have learned and continue to learn so much from that mindset about people and about grace and about, um, you know, about patience and how hopeful people are and can be. And those, those aspects of it have been difficult not to share. For me, tattooing is a healing modality. When I sit for tattoos, I'm engaged in a healing practice with myself and the person tattooing me. And when I'm tattooing someone, I, you know, feel very intimately involved in their emotional spirit as well in that period of time. Um, it, it really does for me feel like I, I, our spirits overlap while I'm tattooing someone. Um, hmm. And, and I began to find it exponentially difficult for me to have and hold the emotional boundaries with myself and with the emotional sobriety of my decision-making um, and have me be dependent financially on tattooing at the same time and that's such concerted time durational um practice like you were practicing getting out of your practice before you left it yes well you put it on the back burner and it's something you want to do in a different capacity and yes how much of this relates to let's throw some things in the pot here but choosing to be in the Pacific Northwest right now, uh, having gravitated yeah. to the radical ferry community. So about yeah. living on the yeah. on and off and with the land, but yeah. also choosing almost the complete opposite, which is at least extra, like uh, on, on the outside, choosing to radicalize yourself and put yourself in a position of having a bit more control over this like post- over your own deliberate uh, ability to be more independent by learning technology, so blockchain and such. Yes, yes, that's I asked, a lot. I asked, yes. Sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Oh, it's just so it's just really uh, humbling to consider 
They mm. feel like they're opposite ends of the spectrum, but they're actually not. Not for me. For me, they're as opposite as 11.59 and 12.01. And it's, it's like, it feels like a 360-degree turn because I have really been engaged in this thinking in my mind for so long, even down to, like, logistical specifics, you know? Um, feeling really strong-armed by Instagram and by um, like wanting to have a certain kind of a relationship with my tattooing practice and having that come directly in conflict with my need to keep my lights on at home and to like keep my refrigerator running. Um, I am, am so excited and so looking forward to the tattooing practice that I'll be able to engage in when it's not paying my bills. Yeah. For Oof. me, I needed right. to do that on a spiritual level to stay sober. When it's not coming from a place of fear of like, um, yeah. yeah. I always forget a, this spiritual term. What is it when you like a lack of what's the spiritual term for lack of? Um, um Oh, I, it's on the tip of my brain, too. Oh. I bet if we stop looking at it, we'll yeah. stop thinking about it. It'll, it'll come. come to both of us right at once. <laughs> uh, um, but yes, that. You know. To make, yes. And and then really coming... Scarcity. Having what I call... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Scarcity? Scarcity. Yes, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. A scarcity choice. Scarcity choices. And also, I can't... It would be irresponsible for me not to say that being in downtown Manhattan and hearing helicopters 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for over four and a half months during the riots that uh, are, were also protests that were peaceful protests and were um, but seeing the relationship yet again because I had been working at Working Families Party and working closely at Occupy when that happened. Um, there were so many likenesses in that experience for me that I was certainly traumatized and re-traumatized by that. And... I, like I said, it would be irresponsible for me not to talk about how I had what I call a come to reason moment where I, I needed to finally address these things that had been kind of lurking in the back of my mind, my concerns for myself, for my concerns for my ability or inability to consent to accepting a tattoo project. Um, because I was having just inside myself such difficulty. It was, it's always just such a grind to get your bills paid. You know what I mean? It's just real life. That's where we're at. That's where, hmm. you know, that's what, um, was driving, you know, so much of my decision-making. And I was, uh, I was preparing for 
the opportunity to step back and then it kind of came upon me like a waterfall so i i slingshotted myself and i the pacific northwest had come up for me as soon as i moved to new york because within my first couple of years i worked at working families party as a a canvasser and organizer for several years and that was my first job in new york I had come to New York to, to work politically in that way. Like that was an intention that I had when I arrived. And it was in that community right away I met people who were from the Pacific Northwest who then, you know, just a few years later ended up moving out there. And it's funny when people who know you at the time say, oh, you would really like it out there. You know, you, you, should really, you should really go. And I got that feedback from a lot of people over the course of many years. And it's, it's a, oh, one of the most beautiful parts of the world. You know what I mean? It's beautiful, and I've always wanted to see it. And the alignment was just there. Like I said, there, there were like five massive things that had to finally give way. Things that I'd been pushing on in different aspects for many years, um, but that I ultimately didn't have full control over. All of those things gave way, and... I was able to make it up to the Pacific Northwest and, and through a kind of exploratory period of the area, um, camping around, mostly around northern Washington at first, and then a little bit further south. And I was able to find the people that I needed to find and finally made it to the Wolf Creek Sanctuary in time for this year's Beltane. And I'm so grateful that I did. And I was there for a couple of weeks, and um, I'm taking my introduction to the, that community very slowly for a lot of reasons. Um, and already I feel very so relieved and so held by all of the people that I've met there. I, I look very much forward to spending more time there on the land proper mm. in Oregon and also with the community. Uh, there's, there's gatherings here. It's a very vibrant, active community. And there's weekly coffee meetups that I attend. And there are weekly organizational meetings for different aspects of land maintenance and I'll be attending the building teams meetings and I'm really excited to just kind of plug into that community and let the electricity <laughs> let it flow finally after many years of of seeking a land-based anti-capitalist community I'm 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 very excited to say that I'm, you know, doing finally now, I feel it. I feel the actions that I'm taking, moving my life towards what I've ultimately always wanted, which is to live uh, a life where I'm not living in a box. This electrified box that I'm renting right now is a container made out of wood and plasterboard that is sitting on top of the ground that has all these wires plugged into it like a life support machine. 
it's like living in a, you know, it's just a, it's a hospital room for my basic needs. You know, there's, there's water and there's a place where I can store food for myself and a place where I can cook it. But it, it is not my long-term aim. You know, I, I, I want, and ultimately my, my spiritual sustainability, the sustainability of my spiritual health depends on me being able to relate to where I'm living for me, just more honestly, you know, the, the, the literal ground earth that I live on top of is a part of my body, whether or not I'm acknowledging it. And that's my decision to finally engage in the education that I needed to learn how to engineer and build a number of the big things that I want to build in my life. And that's a natural segue into coding and programming, but also into, you know, everything that we've talked about, even in our, you know, conversation earlier, when we had earlier this evening, where I was talking about really taking the time to sit down and look at what my consumption is and what that is saying to me about what I believe about myself. Does that relate to tattoo similarly? Because this all feels very, very closely related to what felt like your... um, when we were starting to ask really deep and hard questions around tattooing, when that came our way, mm. it feels That's like an interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting reflection. It feels parallel. I, I, yeah, they they are quite parallel, and I'm grateful that you um, kind of like brought the conversation back around to tattooing because, like I said, what where I'm at right now is that I have realized that it truly is the practice of tattooing that has given me everything that I needed to change myself, learning how to tattoo and having those relationships and continuing that practice is for me, it's given me the foundation, the spiritual foundation of the, that I will, a spiritual foundation that I will use every day for the rest of my life. Mm. And community actualization for me involves tattooing because self-actualization for me is not separate from community actualization, which is not separate from healing, which is not separate from the healing practices that I hope to bring to my communities. Um, And again, I want to give tattooing as a healing practice for myself and for the recipient without money involved. That's really what this is about. When I say community actualization, I mean that too. I I mean that I want this to be a resource that I bring to my community as a healing and creative practice that we can engage with together. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you wanted to pull tattoo. You realize that Black Lives Matter in particular was that moment where you you hit the ground running again, as you probably have in every major crisis. 
of your mm. own and others. It's I know you as an activist. And that was what I, at least what I took from those conversations big yes. time to heart was that you're like, I want, I can't tattoo for money anymore. Like yeah. ethically. That's, His, yes. That's, the history yes, around thank you. colonial you're tattooing is. Helping to clarify some of these thoughts. I really haven't, oh, our conversations are always so fruitful. I love it. There's so many new thoughts that I have <laughs> that are like fresh, you know? Um, it's true. That is absolutely what I meant when I said it would be irresponsible for me to not talk about this choice without talking about the Black Lives Matter protests. And my ref the need that I had to reflect as a white body in uh, an actively colonized white supremacist capitalist economy practicing an indigenous healing medicine. I, it would be irresponsible for me to not explain, I think, and to talk to everyone that I can, especially white-bodied people, especially white-bodied tattooers, about this reflection. And for me, it's not about affecting change, except for myself. That's what I mean. Tattooing has given me the tools that I need to change myself and to be in a healthful relationship with my boundaries and, and mm -hmm. to protect my, almost to protect my activism. And I have had the experience of working in activism professionally, and I had this same come to reason moment after I worked at Working Families Party. What I'm doing for money is what I'm claiming no one should have to do. And I'm in an extraordinarily privileged position because we are all economically coerced. I am economically coerced. Because I, the way I see it now is different than I used to see it. You know, I, I come from a family background that I am engaged in a um, regular healing process with, and I, think that it's not possible to have been um, indoctrinated mm. and to not need that healing. Uh, and that is what I am in the in process of is unindoctrination. And for me, that looks like the process of changing myself. Unindoctrination. The practical day-to-day -day reality that I have the tools that are required for me to reflect on myself and make change. And mm, learn. And I have been aided in my like theological understanding of this by reading a lot of Hazrat Inayat Khan, who's a Sikh philosopher, who wrote a book called On Being and Becoming. And that was actually, that was really misleading. He didn't write this book. Uh, the book is a compendium of a number of writings that he did over the course of his life. He didn't sit down to write this book, but he did title his works On Being and Becoming. And the compendium of his works can be found underneath that title. Hmm. Um, one of the many reflections that I return to from Hazrat Inya Khan is 
his philosophy, his belief that it is uh, the highest level of uh, human expression to be engaged in the process of personality development. And that's a quote. I didn't make that up. That's <laughs> a reflection from this person that I think about. <laughs> he said you know, he believes it is the highest uh, expression of humanity to be engaged in the process of personality development. And when I think about that, I, I feel calm. <laughs> Something about that makes me feel calm. So it's resonated strongly with me and I think about it all the time. And here I'm going to make an assumption, but I'm just venturing a guess that those people who you have in your life are of the same mind. Um, what do you mean? Do you uh, mean my like, like family members? You chosen family? Yeah, my chosen family members. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I wouldn't be who I am without them. My partner, yeah. Maya... Um, my my very long term friend and lover Dwayne, my friend and lover and uh, Kaylee, like these are chosen family members who I would not be who I am without them. You know, I definitely see you, Brody, as uh-huh. one of my chosen family members. I would not be who I am as a a a, a being reflecting on my being without our conversations. Um, yes. That's you. I, I, yes. I, I feel supported in my self-actualization. And these people who I've been talking about, my chosen family members, they're, you, you know, are such a gift that I give myself because I, in my 20s, was not able to find a community around whom I could develop this level of personality development. Mm. It really did require require much healing from me to gift myself relationships that I have in my life now. Oh, that reminds me of one of the most amazing pieces of advice you've given me, which wasn't advice. It was like you learning about yourself and and kindly offering me this this like gem. And you said to me once, you said you were visiting, and you said. I finally got to the point where I've decided I'm not, I'm paraphrasing you, please fix this, that I'm, I'm not difficult to love. Oh, yeah. Who, I talk about that a lot. Who, yeah. Who gave you that? Was that Octavia Butler or who, who did, where did you get that um, from? I, I can't pinpoint one source for that other than my own, my own trauma, to yeah. be frank, yeah, because I, I just felt very difficult to love. And for a long time, I would say, especially in my early 20s, uh, and I, I would not say that I had my, I didn't really start self-work and, and step work and meeting work until my mid-20s. I would say that I was, well, 
I was 26. I love this story. And if I haven't told you before, I'm so grateful that I got to share it in this moment. I was 26 the year that I Googled the word boundaries. <laughs> yeah. That's a real story. That's real. There's no, there's no exaggeration. That's wow. a factual sentence. I was 26 years old. And I sat at a computer and I Googled the word boundaries. And I take that as a personal <laughs> threshold moment for what ended up becoming the rest of my life. Um, so I, I really, you know, I, I jumped into, I jumped into my own enmeshment with, in many ways, myself, um, and certainly in my relationships with the people around me. But I, I, as I look back now, and have been looking back for the past few years to about 10 years ago, have I come to realize that I could only ever have gotten there which is arguably not even the foundation yet. It's just acknowledging that a foundation needs to be laid. <laughs> like me Googling boundaries is how I, that was like step negative two for me. And then like, I finally made it to like step one, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I see that. It's like the bottom, like underneath the foundation is sitting down and like Googling the word boundaries. I would never have gotten even there if I had not had the experience of working at Working Families Party and of finally being engaged with the beginnings of an unindoctrinative anti-racism practice. And it would be irresponsible for me to not talk about that too, because I'm white. And the only reason that it took me working full-time at Working Families Party for several years to really have a grasp of what I had not had a grasp of, which is how intersectional, how intergenerational, and how corporatist and all of the above, you know, how deep the reality of American racism is a part of my life. The only reason, the, the, the only reason that I made it to being 23 in New York and being hired at a like way leftist organization as, a, as an organizer. The only reason I made it that far without doing this reflection is because I'm white. If I was not visibly white, that reflection would be, have been a part of my everyday life from the moment that I was born. But because I'm here, you know, the practice of indoctrination made me invisible to my indoctrination by definition. And that encompasses the whole of what I am in the pra practice of healing from as I live my daily life now. And that's, you know, many different aspects of, of my life uh, as it was handed to me in inherited cultural ways. Um, that's mm -hmm. me reflecting on my and my uh, family of origins relationship to alcohol use, Roman Catholicism, uh, capitalism, racism. These things are, it's not just that they're connected, they are 
the same thing. How does gender land there? Oof, complicatedly. It was very difficult, and, 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 and I say was, because it's not anymore. Yeah. But it was quite difficult for me to accept, I think. I had to first accept, and then I had to embrace. And I would say that my embrace, like me embracing it, has really been in the past like three or four years, to be really honest. Um, the fact that myself, like my being, in honesty, in its honesty, would be received as white masculinity. You know, I was aware of that from before I really dove into physically transitioning. And I, I know that my own inability to uh, process the reality of that is something that um, made me psychologically put off dealing with it for years, for sure. Uh, especially since at the time I found myself in incredibly toxic, self-identified lesbian community uh, that I am so grateful for the healing that it has brought me. My transness is like one of my favorite things about my daily life with myself because I, I have really <sighs> released myself from many of the burdens of my indoctrination and there are no downsides. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's wonderful to unindoctrinate. It's very painful. It's very difficult. And it's there. It, it is by and far. Um, it's a, you know, unindoctrinating is something I do for myself. And I had to you know yet another come to reason moment where I so I it's so there's like a couple of factual informations about my childhood that I feel like really important to contextualize right now because I was sent to a very tiny very insular private school in North Ridgeville, Ohio, which is basically the town right next to Oberlin College. <laughs> of Oberlin College is uh, its own little town. And it's, it's really Oberlin Illyria, which is where I was raised. That's where like my, my house when I was in middle and high school was. And I went to a tiny private school right next door. And I graduated with a class of 32 people, 14 of us, I think 12 or 14 of us went to school together from kindergarten through 12th grade. And as a result, you know, I certainly knew at the time, uh, out of being told, but have, have also as an adult been able to reflect on what an extraordinary privilege my education was and has been and will always be to me in my life. Because 
I, my indoctrination is also from capitalism. I had to go through the same process with capitalism that I essentially did with Catholicism when I finally, you know, broke away from the Catholic Church. I was in college and I, I watched a number of documentaries that finally kind of snapped me. And it was less about me being agnostic about the role of churches in people's lives, which is kind of where I had found myself before. And I, I finally had the self-realization that my involvement with the Catholic Church was nothing less than abusive and manipulative that I had to go on this hard period of like five years where I was very atheist and like politically atheist too. Um, really, I really, uh, I really felt strongly for the beginning of my twenties that spirituality was all a cult. And that was a really healthy period of time for me. Ultimately, by the time I was entering my 30s, I, I had been able to find a lot of the healing that I needed to seek my own spiritual practice. Yeah, right. That is, yeah, that is certainly related to my work on boundaries <laughs> and with my relationship to myself, which I really just had never had one, again, by design, because I was white. And I was raised in an environment where capitalism and producing on behalf of capitalism and being that kind of a valued member of society. And by valued member of society, I mean making money mm -hmm. and like spending it visibly around you. Uh, that that was, it's not just like that, that was the only way of being. It's that was the highest aspiration. I had to go through the same process with capitalism that I went through with Catholicism. I, I intentionally washed myself out. Totally. Intentionally. I, you know, when I, by the time I was tattooing, my life was completely in cash off the books. You know, I have filed for bankruptcy uh, because it doesn't matter. And I, I don't care. And it has been a very important process for me to go through. Sounds like a withdrawal, kind of. What'd you say? Like an intentional withdrawal where you've like fucking... Abdication. Yeah. Yeah, abdication. You had a bunch of defrags. You just like... Yeah. I, I really had to. I really had to because I really believed. And until probably about three, three or four years ago, I would have still said that I believed that abdication of those privileges was the path toward um, more full unindoctrination practice for me on a daily basis that my community will not be built on those things. I will not bring those things to my community. That is not what my community was 
about and is about. And I believed that separating myself from that and, and, and not using it was the path towards unindoctrination, abdication as the path towards unindoctrination. Really, I believed that strongly. And then I had been tattooing for a few years. I had like was finally taking some like kind of regular clients. I always had, you know, it's New York City, so I always had a side hustle. But um, I started taking tattoo clients. And then this, you know, we've talked a lot about it now, this kind of storm cloud on the horizon for me about my, the sobriety of my decision making in my healing tattooing practice around capitalism and around money um, really coincided with everything that was happening at that time. Yeah, the Black Lives Matter movement, my relationship to my own self, my personality development. And this is the, this was the tipping point. It was in this moment, it was Octavia Butler who really was the tipping point, mm. who pushed me from the edge of thinking these things and, and having some questions about them to really toppling over into them now being the only questions I'm asking. And, and it was reading in particular the Pattern Master series and Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents, where I came to see my, my choice of abdication of my privileges as yet another manifestation of my privilege. And I realized that I was wrong. Just in the way that, for me, my atheism was not... Uh, my atheism was wrong for me because I have a very deep spirituality. I'm just... that Like, Roman Catholicism is very toxic for me to be around. <laughs> I do have a spirituality. I'm not an atheist. I'm not a... That's, that was wrong for me. In the same way that abdication was wrong for me because what I need to do in order to be in a fully honest, fully actualized unindoctrination process every day is to be exploring, examining, and critiquing my privilege. And, and then, and then, and this is the key point, and then using my privilege activating the parts of me that I can bring to the actualization of my community in a, in a healthy way. And instead of being an atheist and washing my hands of the privileges that I've been afforded in my life, literally the word afforded, you know, because you know, these stories can't be told without money, that my actualization as a person can't come before the actualization of my community. As a species member, like the, the me as a person isn't a solitary creature. I'm a human being. So I'm by definition of the earth and in a, a multiple relationship with myself and the other people around me who are my community, my, my chosen family, my loved ones, the people who change me, who are around me, you know? 
I do. I mean, I, I, when that clicked for me, like even the, the notion of solo poly as oh. I have come to feel it for oh. myself is like, if I, as soon as I engage with anyone else outside of myself, I'm already in a poly relationship. You know what I mean? Like if like putting oneself first because of the practices of that we share, there is no other way around it. Like to do it in an honorable way. I, how did you? I mean, functioning within the New York City New York City bicycle career community, that must also be such a. I mean, it's just that's the community as well, right? That like that the morals and the ethics are are very rooted in for the most even though they're everyone's riding around and exchanging money uh for for goods it's off the grid mostly and yeah. i mean like i when i got when i went to new york i got super sick and i got penicillin <laughs> from a bicycle courier wait you got what from a bicycle courier uh penicillin oh yes yes that doesn't surprise me um you can get everything i mean you can get everything but the the that practice of it was a part of it for me and that's why it felt for a long time like the solution for me that abdicating my access and like minimizing your life experience like like keeping yourself like trimming like min yeah how do you that's changed now though because now you see that you yes. you'd benefit others around you from from what legs you stand on inherently exactly because here i was in my privilege not looking down and seeing that i was standing on them anyway Mm. That there's no environment, no matter how anti-capitalistic, no matter how far down the working for cash exclusively bike messenger route I went, that I would still be in my life enacting the privilege of the example that I gave you, which is the, the, the like a, a very clear one to talk about, the privilege of my education. Mm -hmm. always in every in, in in an environment like there i'm not this is the thing about i think whiteness the thing there are so many things that i can't extrapolate that you know a, a person of color in the united states and particularly black americans find frustrating about whiteness but the fact that i ever thought that there were times that i could abdicate my privilege is an ignorant abdication of responsibility. And I couldn't reflect on my participation in that and not see it ultimately. That I could pretend or that it, that it would feel like pretending if I, if I and, and, and it always would be because it would be acting like I can self-actualize and then go serve my community. That is a capitalist way of thinking. I had to reverse that to unindoctrinate, to understand that I will never actualize as a human being until I am actualizing community. And then my actualization is tied up in the actualization of my community. 
So you are putting other people and community first, and that's the practice? Like inverted ACA, essentially? Or like, like, do you mean interdependence, essentially? I mean interdependence as me healing from the atheism of solitude. Exactly. Because I'm not an atheist. And I'm not a, and I don't want to be a monk living, no, like living rurally alone. Right. I don't aspire to that. I aspire to community. Mm. And that's, that's where I've really needed ACA. It keeps me grounded. And it, it sounds like it's the reverse, like reverse ACA, but it's not. It's the same description that it's, it's just my way of talking about what you said before is like you realize that solo poly that as long as you are not literally completely isolated alone, that you are in a poly dynamic. There's another being. Yeah. That's what I mean. When you cultivate it, it's that. Been, yeah. Sorry? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just mean it's been really healing for me. Yeah, it's true. You know, I you you talked about um your choices and I really needed to reflect particularly on my early 20s and on the romantic relationships I chose and built and participated in and how toxic so many of those were and became and my role in making them that way Mm. for me to then really step away and say I'm not doing any of these I'm a relationship anarchist is a word that I chose. You know, I, I used other ones too. But I had to step away in order for me to then realize that, oh, healing looks like healthy interdependence. Oh, healing looks like boundaries. Oh, I can't heal alone because we are not, we're, we're wounded in association with others. I can't, I, there are, there are, there's work that I have to do to heal myself. And a lot of that work is in solitude, but as soon as it's in isolation, I'm not healthy anymore. There's not that reflection, right? It's yeah. I think there's not that reflection is a really good way of putting it. Like when I'm in healthy solitude, I'm in healthy interconnectedness in my life. And so I'm in healthy solitude. When I'm not in healthy connectedness or interconnectedness in my life, my solitude is isolation. And it becomes its own toxic um, addiction that I have to be really careful about. Because it's really easy for me to just kind of go into monk mode, what I, what I used to call and still affectionately refer to as monk mode, where I kind of like go off and focus on myself. And I, I'm, I'm trying to reevaluate that as being developed as like a, a system of, of self-management that I developed in a, in a capitalist forward pro-capitalist environment. Because the most dangerous thing to capitalism is to consider toxic individualism. It's very dangerous for, for the society that's currently built on, um, exploitivity and manipulation to consider these realities. 
Yeah, capitalism doesn't work if we're not easily manipulated and controlled. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I feel complicated about that idea because right now I'm thinking, reflecting a lot about how capitalism exists that I am capitalism, that I am perpetuating capitalism, and that certainly I would not say that very many people could say that, like, they're not. Like, I think that capitalism as an idea is not something that I actually have the choice of whether or not I participate in it. I don't actually think it's possible to not participate in it. And that's what I that's what I really had to kind of come to terms with. And I was like, oh, I just won't do this. It was just really naive. So I see myself as pretty naive about it anyway. No. I feel like you're hella informed and it's it's like your life's work. And again, a perception it from, is my life's work. from the outside. I myself have benefited from these little, there were deep dives on your end. And I just, I got like the, you gave me the icing on the cake every once in a while. I'm like, oh, I never considered that. Or, oh, wow. Is that, can it just be like that? And my gosh, I wonder how much of this stems from your relationship to the environment via activism and the current, e current the eco crisis that I guess has more light being shone on it now. But like, Oof. you're someone that drinks water. And when you came one time, you're like, I'm drinking water these days. Like, but like, you know, you said, you know, deliberately, I'm having three, three liters at least a day. And these are things, you know, like, growing up in my dynamic of my home environment, like, I mean, I'm sure it wasn't just me that wasn't aware that drinking water was important or like actually life giving. I had no idea. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> then no you'd always come back or I'd talk to you another time and you'd be like, and now I'm actually doing this fasting and you're not one to be like, okay, I'm going to try this fad. And then, you know, I've heard about this in the New York, New York post or the uh, New York mag or something, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to try this, you know, <laughs> this was in the Huff post, you know, like this, you're like, actually, you know, like I'm, I just watched you level up and then level up and level up. And I wonder how much of these things are still a big practice for you, but um, intermittent fasting was a really big thing for you. And I feel like they're, um, I've given them a go for myself and I've noticed being able to get in contact with parts of my body that are like, I'm thirsty. I'm like, who said that? And they're like, I'm hungry. Yes. You know, I'm like, who's hungry? You know, and, and who's hungry. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and then even just in, yes. even just, but the nervous system, like your, yes. um, sleep hygiene, you know, yeah. how you've yeah. chosen probably, I don't know if it's systematically, but one thing leads to the other. And it's just always been super fucking inspiring to have these conversations because I'm like, oh my God, like I feel the I feel the click when you say something and I'm like, oh, there's that thing I'm going to like, going to pay attention to. And then it becomes something that's a part of my life. And I really value and appreciate these oh, op for opportunities for tools that you give me, you know, for like life betterment that like. I mean, it's not up to my, it was, it's, you know, my recovery is up to me and also the way I live my life and the way I treat other people. And it's up to me to like create a baseline. And these things that you've given me over the years are huge aspects of what I consider my baseline. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I find our conversations to have quite a similar effect on me. And for me, I mean, it's really this process of 
just like, yes, deciding that it is my life's work to develop my personality. Yeah. To look at, to look at every aspect I can find and to develop it. And, and it's, it's brought me so much healing that the act of it is very revolutionary where I'm from is, you know, I was raised quite, quite Catholic and it, even though my nuclear family of origin, I would, I would say that we didn't really practice a re- like the religious aspects of life in our daily lives. And I would go so far as to say that that's because on the whole, spirituality had been really stamped out fully uh intentionally and there are many aspects that participated in that and catholicism was one of them and alcohol was one of them and capitalism is the biggest one by far how good of a machine can you be like you you know how well can can you do this is the the judgment that i was given to assess my development. And in response to that, in order to heal, I think about my consumption. And I've, it's funny that I've said that a lot now. I, I've, I've really spent a lot of time looking at my consumption in every way because I really had to come to terms with the fact that I too had inherited the idea that whenever I was looking to be healthier, let's just say like whatever, physically healthier, that always what I would look at is what I would be cutting out of my consumption. I I really had to come to terms with the fact that for me, healthfulness is always going to look like adding something and consuming more almost always and intermittent fasting is definitely a buzzword to describe something that I'm you know doing in my life I feel like the term itself kind of it feels like a misnomer now just because I feel like it's so ill-used I I've had to drink more water every day to be healthier and not less. I've had to learn how to eat more healthy foods every day to be healthier. I've had to learn how to sleep more. I've had to learn how to consume more mm. of, of good things to be healthier. Yeah, information even. Information. And in so doing, I have pushed out things that don't work for me but really turning my brain around and thinking about it that way was in and of itself difficult because I was taught that deprivation is better. You know what I mean? There's like this value judgment that like the, the act of sacrifice and deprivation itself has its own value or something. Oh, <laughs> my partners have always got so used to like, I walk behind them and turn the lights off, you know? Mm. it's just such an ACA thing to do 
but it's like such a root core core i don't know can negative belief of myself to, a belief about myself that i'm a bad person if i don't do everything within my power to consume less you know i've just no one taught me that that was just i don't know you know it came to me somehow i'm sure yeah. but like well I exactly am, i unplug the things does yeah that, that's the definition of indoctrination something you can't remember learning but that you knew was true yeah right it's true like this is a right? truth it's this is true. a hard truth and yeah. i don't not believe that you know what i mean like i actually believe that unplugging things is really important and i'm also hella scared of fires house fires so like yeah. wise very wise <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it's just you're lucky if you get out you know it's true that's they're very dangerous. They can be very dangerous. It's just that ACA paratrauma stuff, like the, the farmhouse my parents grew up, where my parents, my mom's family grew up and burnt down and everyone barely made it out, you know? And I just, it's just in, like, my DNA. I, yes. like, I check the the kettle before I leave the house every single time. I'm like, is it, I actually take it off the thing and turn it sideways so it's not even connected to the thing. Yeah. To the element aspect of the electricity. I mean, that's wise. And I've had to really, in terms of if, you know, to recontextualize what we're talking about, it might not be this question or one of the, one of something you asked recently was just about, about economic impact and about climate impact. You know, you, you brought that up and I, I recently have had the benefit of realizing that what I need to do is increase the amount of peace in my body and I will use less electricity. Go for the joy. Yeah. If I'm out, if I'm in a tent, if I'm living very close to the land, my body's natural rhythm is to wake up when the sun comes up and to, and to start winding down and go to bed when the sun is down. And I used very little electricity when I was living on the land. Mm. And it's not because it wasn't there. There were buildings that have it. I certainly had to plug my device in. You know, it's the 21st century. We have to, even even radical fairies need to plug their damn phones in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but not all of them have phones, you know? And yeah, yeah. it just comes back to this, what I've, uh, a, a kind of mantra that I've had recently, I've added to my daily mantras one that I have said for many years now that is a gift from my very close friend, also certainly a chosen family member, Juan Christian, who lives down in Texas. That, that mantra is, everything changes, nothing is wasted, learn to adapt. But what I've had to add to that recently is, peace is weakness leaving the body. And I have to remind myself of that like 12 times a day because my instinct is that pain is weakness leaving the body. And I am trying to let go of my attachment to that because mm. I don't believe it's actually true anymore. I think peace is weakness leading the body and it's taken me much more strength to find peace than it has ever required for me to find a pain. That old inner drugstore, you know, like, yeah, I've been getting yeah. high off my inner drugstore since the beginning of my experience as a, as a breathing human mm. being getting high off the stressing and then finding solutions that uh, mm -hmm. just kept the cycle going, you know? Yes. Never let yes. it actually leave the body, 
you know, and being engaged in a practice that you can keep the lid off the pot or I can keep the lid off the pot long enough, longer and duration, you know, like exposure therapy to my old stuff so that it can, the bite and the inclination to re-engage is less and less. You know, I I walked by my favorite drugstore tonight. It's called the Spady. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, and I went by, I even went in and I was like, oh, look, there it is. Okay. I said, choose to the person that I left, you know? And I was like, whoa, food fellowship's been good for me. Ah. Yeah. I'm so grateful for you talking about your, your food fellowship. I, I've been having some challenging relationship with my own eating come up for me and so okay so the intermittent fasting thing i would never i would i would not say actually about myself that i have ever been like an intermittent faster i definitely so i uh put my body in ketosis and ate keto for a straight six months and i actually think that might have been i'm not sure whether or not i was doing it when we met but i know i I was doing it for a few berlin trips you were um and i do fast so uh, i've gotten myself i found i think is a better way a better term i've found a rhythm in my life where as as my the the full moon is arising i'm gathering a lot of resources and i'm cooking more and when the full moon peaks i I like to have like several really big meals that day, that couple of days, like very resource celebratory, um, emotionally celebratory, like emotional resource celebratory, spiritually celebratory um, ritual. And the day of the new moon, I by that point, I have kind of like brought my consumption down a little bit. The day of the new moon, I am participating in a full fast. I'm certainly drinking teas and a ton of water that day. <laughs> um, and then kind of gearing up in the days that follow and returning my body to a more consumptive state and then using that kind of cycle as the guide to my body has been very healing mm. um, for me. Cause I love to cook. I really love to cook and my my disordered relationship with eating is easy for me to I talked about this before it's easy for me to wrap up into what I would call my healthy addiction to exercise and like different forms of physical meditation but I am actively looking at that in my life. I mean, I got really sick last summer. And so I've really been forced to look at it. Mm. It really pushed my body beyond its limit. Mm. And I have, I I was forced to confront it. And yeah. There's this conversation obviously could go on forever. I know. I just noticed how long we've been chatting. I love it. I'm so, I'm so thrilled. (laughs) this world of circadian and like sleep cycles and when one should get direct light from certain angles and all this like 
this like Huberman person has like quite an interesting podcast I've been listening to recently that a friend had been mentioning. Oh, you sent it to me. Oh, I think I did. Yeah, I was like, I wonder if I sent it to you. I think it's up your alley. I mean, the person looking forward to it. Yeah, seems a little bit like on the on the surface like someone I wouldn't relate to, but actually, I I got past my own, you know, probably uh, in, internalized uh, yeah judgments about this person because I, I just I mean we are made of water, we are made of electricity and carbon. And so is the world and everything in it. I mean, period. So the moon, I mean, here, I mean, that, that cycle, I mean, we are cut from the same cloth. That was very clear. The first day I, you walked up to my studio, I was like, oh, I was suggested to meet you. And I, you know, not that I have a gatekeeper, but I have a mechanism that's like, you know, highly tuned. And I, I met, met you up front, the studio, I was like, okay, great. This is one of those those moments where I meet someone really special in my life. And I just want to touch on the moon. Absolutely. I, myself, the pressure builds up until it's full moon and have a, a huge kind of um, ability to feel and communicate and um, uh, experience myself again. And I, I find balance. And then that's probably my Libra-ness. And then it, I think the... It takes the cycle from the full moon to the new moon for me to slow up my nervous system to slow down. And I have um, the best sleep on the new moon, period. Yeah. And journaling has been the only way that I've been able to come into contact with that sort of like to be able to see yeah. the ritual and rhythm around how I treat myself and what what behaviors and what like what pathology, you know, like where, where do I what's what's the loudest in me that's like <laughs> having me lean in, you know, this way or that way into luckily when I lean in a certain direction, I have a whole bunch of tools developed around these specific undesirables, you know? And it sounds like, I mean, are you of a water or an earth sign? What's your, are you Virgo? No. So I, my sun sign is Pisces. Oh, that's why. Of course. That's why. My, my moon sign is a Taurus. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't that make sense? I mean, Yes. Um, but of course you're Pisces, and I. So that means, hang on. Your birthday wasn't that long ago. Well, it was. Oh uh, yeah, March fourteenth. Did I not get in touch with you on your birthday? I believe that you did. Okay, good. To be quite honest, I See, think you did. This is, uh, thank you. <laughs> That's like very validating. But honestly, this is like a, a family thing. My dad, I probably already told you that. My dad has. I've never seen my dad once on my birthday because he was always out killing. Because my birthday's in the hunting season. Uh, so my mom was overcompensated, which was hella nice. Like, what a generous thing to right. do. But it totally twisted my fucking socks around birthdays. And I, like, I used to overcompensate, like, crazy for my partners in particular and friends' birthdays. Uh, so I just have, instead of trying to remember them, I just have them on a calendar. So um, the people who I really cherish in my life, I can reach out and let them know that, like, it... It was definitely from a place of of lack, you know? Like, please remember mine, you know, <laughs> essentially. <I see. laughs> Let, let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's I not. Mean, it's it. very much from... I have a Gemini rising. I definitely get it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And it's nice <laughs> that it's now just an aspect of um, 
when I connect with people, I've come to see them in particular relation to my sign, you know, like, I guess the sun sign is always like a strong one, right? You're like, okay, that's the one I almost identify with the most. And as soon as for me, someone's earth or water, I'm like, ah, the relief is just palpable. It's like, oh, you balance me. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I certainly recall our first meeting as well. And I remember knowing right away that we were going to be in communication for like more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I certainly felt that balance in our communication as well. Hmm. I also felt that inclination to enmesh because I was like, oh my gosh, this person has all the things I have. I'm like, hang on, no intimacy. Let's just chill on this. Like, this is like you said. I felt an, a friendship arc that was like an arc. You know, it's not going to be. There's yeah. no like rocket. Like the rocket doesn't really. There's not longevity in the rocket. No, there is not. I, so far, I haven't I've... experienced that. When there's the rocket, it's like poof, firework. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was really nice. That was kind of beautiful. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's like, oh, that was such a nice explosion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my I'm dear. Really, I'm so, so grateful for our conversation. What a treat. This I was 2.0. having some more of them. Yes, please. I, I know your rhythm and I know that you're nine hours away and this is always a great time for me to catch up. Um, as That's it great. Is. This tends to work for me near the end of the weeks. So we should, I, I'll, I think I'll try try you again near the end of next week it'd be really nice to now that i'm like regularly in relationship to like cell phone service and and a cell phone plug mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll be it'll be nice to stay in touch more regularly too yeah and we also know that we can do this facetime voice thing that's how i chat with my mom oh what a good hack thank you i was really beginning to be quite devastated by signals loss of dependability so this is a very good workaround yeah. thank you even though we are engaging in the big one of the big dirties but this is um hey real talk yeah. the toothpaste is out of the tube maybe we could maybe we could talk about that next time but yeah. the toothpaste is out of the tube there's no not engaging with them anymore no absolutely once you see you can't unsee oh that's the way of saying it you can't unsee yeah you know, I, one la- there's never one last thing, but remember I called you a crisis? I think that's only really happened maybe once. I recall. And yeah. I was like, I don't know what to do, even though I knew what to do. And your advice that you gave me, which was, and I called you knowing I was going to, I called three different people and I knew I was going to get hard but diverse and great advice. Mm. And uh, I took it. And thank you. And you know what? It wasn't uh, actually reciprocated. Great. I didn't mention like, that yet. Um, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I didn't get, I didn't get anything back. That's an answer too. It is. N- no is a full sentence and also is not even responding at all. Yeah. And it also it's doesn't true. give me an answer. Like for what is it? Cause I was also wanting to know what was up with our connection, this person and I. Right. Uh, so I was hoping that might happen at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But maybe it did. <laughs> Maybe, you know, maybe it did. <laughs> that is fully an answer. And yeah, that's plenty. also, you know, it is, yeah, I don't, you know, there's, 
literally no way of knowing no what someone is thinking no and that's like higher power shit you know it's like i don't understand kinda, higher power yeah yeah that's not really your problem no, no. <laughs> you've like you know you helped me do the heavy lifting and i appreciate it so much i'm so grateful i was so grateful that you called it for um i was very gratified to be one of your phone calls i was really grateful for that that thing is in the in the world have you seen a copy of it no it it exists i'm gonna go find it there's a lot that i've there's a lot internetally that i've really missed in the past four months i have some catching up to do i want to say thank you again dear friend oh it's been my pleasure thank you so much for asking me and for hosting in particular this conversation as an interview style <laughs> um it'll be it'll be really good to to talk to you again soon yes please i'll send you the uh the file oh i would love that thank you so it'll much really and i'd love to get your consent on it the full write-off the ec- oh, sure. ecstatic yeah. consent the fuck yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you so much i'll talk to you soon Certainly. Have a lovely day in the Pacific Northwest. I hope that are you going back to school work or are you are you done? Are you gonna take the dog out? Uh I'm gonna take Appa for a nice long mosey and then I think I'll I'll crack on a few more hours of studying before dinner time. Hmm. Well, this is the never ending story. Thank you so much. It is. Good night to you. Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna do I'm gonna meditate and hit the sack. Yeah, there we go. Okay, cheers. Okay, cheers.